0: It's time for the IHSA Safety Podcast. Welcome to the IHSA Safety Podcast. Again, I'm Enzo Garretano, President and CEO of IHSA. Today's episode is a follow up to Podcast 38, Understanding Opioids and the Crisis in Canada. In this episode, host Ken Rayner continues the conversation on opioids with IHSA's mental health and wellness specialist, Kathy Martin. Ken and Kathy, over to you. Thanks, Enzo. Kathy, we're here once again talking about mental health, Um, and we recently launched a podcast episode number 38 on understanding opioids and the crisis in Canada with Mark Barnes and Bill Roy that contain lots of helpful information on opioids. This is our follow-up to that podcast, so let's perhaps start just as a reminder to our listeners, Kathy, what are opioids and why are they a real problem for workplaces in Ontario?
1: Right. Well, you know, opioids are drugs uh, with pain relieving properties that are used primarily to treat pain. And opioids are usually prescribed for acute pain management after surgery or injury and typically is meant for, you know, a temporary short duration until the healing has begun and that pain has subsided. However, they're also used in some cases to treat chronic or longer term pain conditions. And opioids come in several forms, but we often think of them um, um, too, as illicit drugs when we're thinking of this opioid crisis in society today. Things like um, street-produced fentanyl and heroin, for example. You asked a great question, um, you know, what are opioids and are they, you know, real problems for the workplace? And well, you know, my answer might surprise people because it's it's no. Opioids themselves are not the issue. And actually, I could argue that perhaps illicit drugs really are not much of a workplace concern. What? is a problem, however, is the need to manage the risks that lead to opioid misuse and opioid-related harm. Um, Is how we go about reducing these risks in the workplace that should be uh, front and center for workplaces. Refer to related harms when we're talking about things like opioid use disorder, overdose, or opioid poisoning, or deaths that happen in the workplace. And misuse of opioids can increase the chances of these opioid related harms.
0: Hmm. So uh, so we've got new legislation that was introduced and um, working for workers legislation that includes the need for um, certain employers to have naloxone kits available in high risk workplaces. Does that fit into
1: this? Yeah, well, the new legislation is simply one control measure uh, for when there is a risk of an opioid overdose on a work site. However, um, it's okay, I think, to acknowledge that this is a very downstream solution to a very complex societal problem. And if you're in the trade industry, this is really an important problem that we need to look at and discuss. So the naloxone kit really is the minimum that workplace workplaces should be doing in our sectors, not the most. And the legislation is there to hopefully save lives, and I believe strongly it will. I'm a huge advocate for getting naloxone in every workplace and in every public setting where there's a first aid station, and I hope in most homes, especially if you have someone in your life who's struggling with drug misuse, the more it's readily available and known about, the better.
0: So, Kathy, you may have uh, you've mentioned that you've heard some criticism of, of the naloxone legislation. You know, perhaps some don't think it's needed because most overdose, overdose deaths are happening in private settings. They may be happening in motels or bars, but not necessarily workplaces. So why do you think it'll save lives if the overdoses aren't typically happening in the workplace?
1: Well, my assumption, like many others, is that naloxone will likely not be administered very often, maybe if at all in most workplaces. But just like your defibrillator hanging on the wall, it's not typically used very often either. I believe strongly, and I hope others will too, that it is the raising of the collective knowledge of what an opioid overdose looks like and the risk of opioid misuse that will have the greatest impact. So training, you know, workers how to administer this life-saving drug naloxone and the awareness it'll bring, like I said to what is naloxone first and foremost, and opioid misuse in general, the better. Workers have friends, family members, and coworkers, you know, and they may know people who might benefit one day from our workers having this uh, knowledge. And this is one of those hidden benefits that would just likely won't see. Also like the increased knowledge is great. Um, but for me, it's the conversations that will be taking place in workplaces that I believe will save lives like I said, through the education and hopefully the conversations that will you know, take place as a result in workplaces are what I hope will begin to tackle some of the stigma around opioid use. It's the conversations around the trenches, hydro lines and those rooftops and, you know, on the open road that I hope will save lives. It's a trickle effect, but it's one way to get the conversations happening about opioids in the workplace beyond those hushed ones of, you know, who's got some.
0: I I really appreciate that, Kathy. I haven't I haven't heard that uh, put in such a way before. So, you know, when I see an naloxone kit in a workplace, not only should I know that, hey, great, they've got that there in case there it has to be administered, but more more importantly, that there's most likely been some conversations in the workplace about opioid use, that there's been workers trained, that people are knowledgeable and there's some awareness and conversations are hoping to, uh, hopefully there's conversations taking place and hopefully there's stigma being reduced. So um, that's that's terrific. And you've taught me all that, right? <laughs> so, um, so that's great. So, okay, so you mentioned earlier, you're saying like opioids are
1: not the problem. Can you, can you explain a little bit more what you mean about that? Sure. Um, so opioids do help workers to remain actively employed, especially in the trades where there are many people um, with pain related injuries and wear and tear on the body. And we can't lose sight of that. Many people, like I said, they need these drugs to to help them get to work. So The opioids themselves are not the problem because if they're taken as prescribed under strict oversight and management by a knowledgeable physician, then they can actually help a worker who is in need of strong pain control. (laughs) What is problematic is when they're not. So when they're not being used properly and they're not being managed properly by um, a physician. So now this is where... You know, there's a a whole lot of stuff going on in society that makes it a little more complex. So this is a a wide social issue when it comes to the opioid crisis and prescribing rules and social policy around prescribing. That's, you know, certainly something um, society needs to look at. But we won't be spending time today because it really is out of scope for workplaces to address because they don't really have control over that. But I want workplaces to know and employers to know that some of this wider social policy around prescribing does impact our workers and has increased opioid misuse and related harms as a result by some unforeseen ways. And I'm here, though, like I said, to talk about what's within the control of the employers. If someone wants to learn more about what I just meant, you know, I guess they can reach out to us. Um, But employers need to look at the root causes and the risks of problematic opioid use. And put in control measures. So as, as I mentioned, it's you know it's not the opioid, it's the management of risk of opioid misuse and opioid related harms in the workplace. That should be the concern and things that we're addressing in the workplace. And this is a rather complex topic. And I'd be uh, you know more than happy to come back and unpack each of these uh, key areas with you, Ken. But for now, let's just take a quick look at some of the drivers or the risks in the workplace that can be influenced through better management and control practices. In general, employers really need to look at these areas more closely. One is the management and the workplace culture and stigma towards substance use in general. For example, as much as mental health might be stigmatized still. (laughs) The stigma, those who have an opioid use disorder in our society is much, much worse. This forces individuals to hide and use alone often, which we know is a big factor in overdose deaths. And another area is fit for work management and job accommodations. And Sort of the general workplace culture and stigma towards job accommodations and and reporting a fit for work concerns um, that are often held within our industries is something we need to start tackling. And there's also many um, workforce and job design barriers, some systemic barriers such as you know how work is compensated in our industry, the compensation structure for uh, time off due to injuries, Um, the fact that they're, for the most part, hourly wage workers, Um, they're often exposed to extensive working hours, seasonal work, lack of benefits, we can go on and on, (laughs) union versus non-union. Those do impact uh, the risks. And then another area, which we've talked about in different uh, podcasts, is just the workplace cultural or culture issues in general, such as toxic masculinity, which impacts, um, you know, the impacts of of showing weakness and seeking help and how that impacts uh, workers from uh, getting the help that they need. So that, you know, teasing of others, you know, you can't keep up, suck it up, you know, and so they feel like they got to pop the Percocet at lunch hour to keep up so they're not being teased and ridiculed. That that plays into this. And then a couple more points and then we'll move on, but it's like pain management. We talk, you know, opioids themselves is not the issue, but how we manage pain and how workers are managing pain and the culture, like I said, around and the stigma around pain in general, um, you know, the suck it up cupcake, we all hurt mentality can be harmful. And you know, the last I'd like to say is like the management and and workplace culture and stigma towards mental health in general, uh, mental health conditions in general. Many uh, individuals who misuse opioids are often masking up mental health pain, not simply physical pain. So when these risks are left unmanaged, they increase the risk of opioid-related harms occurring to our workers, regardless if they're happening at home or in the workplace.
0: Mm, you covered off a lot there, Kathy, and a lot. Uh lot of guidance.
1: Like I said, I can come back and unpack each of those. In a yeah. podcast.
0: <laughs> we'll have you do that. Um, so, so for that employer that's listening to this, that's, that's, that's following along and going, okay, so um, what, what should I do if I'm wondering whether, you know, there's opioid misuse that may be occurring in my workplace and I'm the employer, what are some, what are some guidance that you'd have for that? for that individual.
1: Yeah, well I think this has been a a common um, thing that's been bubbling up especially since they've been talking about this new legislation coming forward is like am I at high risk? Am, you know, do I have an issue in my workplace? How would I know? And um, you know, basically if you have people working in your workplace, you likely have had someone using opioids at the, at some point. Um, but as I mentioned, opioids are commonly prescribed, you know, to treat pain after surgeries and serious injuries and so you know, because like how many employers can really say that they've never had an injured worker or someone who's had surgery, right? Not many. Um, now, most people will not develop an opioid use disorder, yet recent estimates do indicate that about 9.6, so I'll round it up to 10%, of Canadian adults who use opioid medications um, have reported some form of problematic use. So, example, taking amounts greater than prescribed or tampering with the product before they're taking it or using it to get high or improve their mood. So, that's that's pretty significant, 10%. And As well, we know that someone experiencing mental health issues are more susceptible to developing an addiction issue and maybe using opioids um, that was never prescribed to them uh, for their emotional pain. And and opioids themselves, remember, like I said, are not the problem, as I keep stating. (laughs) It's the why, how, and how long opioids are consumed that can be problematic for people. So employers can get caught up um, with focusing on opioids, like I said, as the issue when 90% of individuals um, will use prescribed opioids in a safe and proper manner. Um, That doesn't really lead to any uh, opioid misuse or, or harms. Now, when we focus too much, like I said, on discussing why opioids are dangerous and should be discouraged as a method of pain control, we really are actually increasing stigma towards those who are using the drug legitimately under a doctor's care. So related harms, like I said, such as opioid use disorders, overdose and uh, death do happen in workplaces, but they're not the norm with individuals who are prescribed an opioid and not misusing them. So close to, like I said, close to 10% of workers exposed to, opioids um, may develop some level of problematic use and other workers who have addictions um, to other substances uh, like alcohol and cocaine are also cause for concern in the workplace. Now, stigma is rampant for those who use drugs and substances. So it's critical um, to note that not all of those, like I said, who use drugs will be problematic for the workplaces. When I unpack this a minute, for example, many individuals in the trades uh, use cannabis recre- recreationally, you know, at the end of the day, especially now that it's legal to do so. And as long as they have no impaired functioning by the time they return to work, there really is no workplace concern. Now, the issue is not the drug use specifically. It is the use of any substance that might uh, contribute to cognitive impairment. And if not enough time has uh, elapsed for it to leave your system, they may inadvertently uh, be working with cognitive impairment and not even realize to what extent. Now, individuals may choose to uh, take an opioid uh, to avoid withdrawal symptoms, or like I said, due to pain symptoms, be it emotional or physical. The question for these individual workers, and I think what workplaces need to focus in on is, are you cognitively impaired as a result? Not, are you taking a drug? Are you on a substance? But are you cognitively impaired? So can you ask this question for any substance use? There really is, you know, like I said, this is really more of a matter of a fit for duty issue. uh, As I mentioned earlier, we need to do better with our policies and build a culture that supports a positive culture, positive culture of support for those uh, who do disclose their problematic substance concerns or their fit for duty concerns.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, you keep mentioning the word stigma and it's in my mind because, you know, in in podcast 38 that we did with Bill Roy and Mark Barnes talking about open opioids. Mark really talked about stigma being one of the biggest barriers for those people that are misusing drugs, such as opioids, a barrier to receive treatment. So what are your thoughts on how we can reduce or eliminate these barriers So those that are the most in need can receive that assistance and support that's required.
1: You're absolutely right, Ken. I couldn't agree with Mark more. Um, People who use drugs, especially those struggling with addictions, face discrimination and barriers to getting help. We know that stigma can lead a person to avoid getting help because they're afraid of judgment or getting in trouble with work, perhaps with their loved ones or even the law. Stigma can cause a person to hide their drug use um, and use drugs alone, which is a huge risk for opioid overdose deaths to occur. And stigma also affects the person's ability at times to even find housing or jobs, which affects their health and their quality of life. And of course, stigma also contributes to people who use drugs receiving a lower quality of care from the healthcare system when they do go to access services, which is truly sad in my opinion. But if workplaces want to improve the odds of workers reaching out for help earlier, as Mark mentioned, stigma is a big barrier. So workplaces, we, we must tackle stigma and the root causes behind these attitudes and beliefs. This will mean tackling all levels of stigma, which includes self-stigma, social stigma, and, and there's a thing called structural stigma. And another thing we need to do is recognize that addictions are not a choice and that often when workplaces become aware of someone's opioid misuse or disorder, the issue most likely has been going on for a while. Addiction won't just vanish overnight because a supervisor said, clean up or you're fired, which we shouldn't be saying for several reasons beyond the fact that this approach simply won't work. You know, dealing with substance use disorders and other problematic use requires supervisors' patience and understanding and knowledge of human rights around these complex workplace issues. So employers need to provide effective and consistent workplace policies and practices around impairment reports. Return to work and access to treatment. Just having a policy isn't enough. The policies must be living and breathing within the workplace through support and be supported by a psychologically safe workplace culture. And managing risks of opioid harms is no easy task, but it is critical employers do their best and try. As mentioned, reducing stigma is a key area that workplaces can start to tackle. And now also, you know. I sound like a a running book here, running, keep running on and on, but, you know, workplaces need to work on its culture. It will affect how drug misuse is addressed on the job. You know, it's well known that many of the trades, such as construction, you know, in general, will turn a blind eye to what's often well-established and known with regards to substance use um, as a, you know, a make it through the day kind of culture, do whatever it takes. You know, they just, they don't want to, if they don't see it, they don't care. Right. You know, as long as you're not doing it where I can see it, just, just make it through the day and get the job done. And we need to challenge that a little bit. And many employers, um, like I said, have impairment policies, but little enforcement of these policies as you know, they're messy and they're complicated. And many only. You know, many only really look at them after an incident has occurred, unfortunately. I'll I'll wrap up here, but, you know, stigma and language can be really slow to change. And in certain workplace cultures, it can be a real challenge. But slow does not mean impossible. Change, you know, over time is possible, but it takes an employer's efforts to set the path for that change to happen. So I'd encourage everyone who is passionate about seeing change and improvement in both workplaces and our society on this issue is to get on board and move the dial. We have seen changes toward mental health stigma over the past decade, yet opioid stigma in our Canadian society and workplaces has a really long way to go to catch up.
0: Yep. We've got a lot of work to do here, Kathy. Um, you know, both at IHSA and with with uh, within the industries that we support, um, but we're getting better every day, right? So I can say uh, definitively that we're better than we were last year. We're more aware. We're having more conversations about these type of things. We're not where we need to be. But um, I think we're trending in the right direction. We just got to find a way to get there quicker. So, Kathy, again, thank you so much for, uh, for all the the guidance and, and knowledge and expertise that you provide to, to our members. When it comes to mental health, it's extremely uh, beneficial and needed. So, thank you again for all the help you provide to us with these podcasts on mental health. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe and like us on your podcast channel and visit us on ihsa.ca for a wealth of health and safety resources and information, including mental health. The IHSA Safety Podcast. For more episodes, tips, and all things safety, go to ihsasafetypodcast.ca. Thanks for listening. Each year, about 5,000 IHSA supervisor logbooks are ordered for supervisors across Ontario. Why is the logbook so popular? Because it was developed by the industry for the industry. That's what makes it unique. IHSA thanks the members of the Labor Management Network and Advisory Councils who contributed their knowledge, experience, and time to the preparation of this supervisor logbook. Contact IHSA at 1-800-263-5024. That's 5024 or visit ihsa.ca that's ihsa.ca